when we start our Saturday morning time together, I have never quite decided whether we'll first meditate or we'll first share Dhamma, but I think today I want to just start by offering some thoughts and some of the things that you've all shared as you've checked in have been very much um, related to the things I've been thinking about. Of course, there's nothing terribly unusual about any of it. Uh, we're all experiencing samsara, the nature of living a human life, and therefore there are many changes. And uh, it's sometimes surprising and sometimes it's not, but it's still constant dealing with impermanence. And, and of course, because we come to our life experience with the Dhamma in hand, we want to use everything that happens in our life as part of our development on the path and use the Dhamma uh, as, a, as, a, as a refuge and as a support and as the guide for how we can address the things that come up in life. So I'll first say that um, we want to dedicate our practice to Carol, who just had a massive stroke, and um, anyone else who is um, suffering. And to one degree or another, that might be any of us, all of us. So it's a beautiful thing to share the, the merit of whatever is good in our life and in our practice with those around us. Um, those that we know and those that we don't know. So the way that I've been thinking about this recently is really looking at where we put our attention when we're suffering. And, you know, experiencing dukkha, of course, takes so many different um, I want to say and there are so many different ways in which we experience suffering, experience dukkha. You know, it doesn't have to be full-on suffering, although there's plenty of that. <laughs> um, and we recognize that, you know, even the anxiety of uh, having to meet an appointment or something can be dukkha. I mean, it's just really whatever dissatisfaction, whatever agitation, whatever... We don't want um, even the excitement of having what we do want is dukkha. But I was thinking more, mostly in terms of the big things, bigger things, you know, the, the kinds of things that really want to absorb the mind. And it's good, I think, to look at where we're putting our attention when that happens. Because so much of the time, 
we put our attention on what's external, you know, the situation itself. I mean, of course, we need to think about how to solve the problem. And this really is um, a talk on solving the problem, which is exactly what the Buddha set out to do when he left home. He wanted to solve the problem of old age sickness and death, primarily death. And with us, when we're confronted with something that's unsettling <laughs> and we're, our mind will tend to be focused on that problem. And we often think that the cause of the problem is outside of ourselves. You know, it's what someone else did or said or the conditions of our health or, um, you know, we look, we look to those things, you know, the eviction notice, the, um, the partners decided to leave, the boss that has given us a bad review or, you know, all those things that can happen in life and the passing away of a friend or, you know, whatever it might be. And we think um, if it weren't that way, if, if it hadn't happened or if that person would behave differently or if the situation was different, then we'd be happy. And the truth is that that's not really where the problem is. And therefore, it's not really where we want to put our attention. And, and that's certainly not where the solution is. <laughs> and that's not where we want to put our attention. And so the first thing to notice is how much we focus on those things that we can't change and how much we blame other people, conditions, the world. And then to see that that's um, not where we're going to find peace, happiness, and a way through it. So then another approach that we often take is that we blame ourselves. And this can even be part of the psychology of the Dhamma practice. You know, like, um, well, I'm a, a nun and I've been practicing X number of years and I shouldn't feel the way I feel, that kind of thinking. Or, you know, and any of us has that same kind of story. Or uh, maybe we blame ourselves if it's an interaction with someone and we are thinking we were um, you know, not as skillful as we would like to be. And while there's nothing wrong with checking in on our skills, and if there's anything we should, you know, make amends for or um, change, that's fine. But I'm talking about something deeper, I guess, more, more of a blame of self, thinking that if I were different, then I wouldn't have to go through these things in my life. Or if I were different, this situation would be, would be all right. And it's not necessarily true. And it's also not the solution. 
we we can go through great efforts to try to organize the things that around our outer conditions and try to cut you know, really try to cause other people to change, or we can work to try to per perfect ourselves, but that's not going to bring us happiness and peace. And the ability to be present with what's happening and still have peace and clarity. And that second part about how we look at ourselves, and, well, actually in both directions, it takes some, some practice and some wisdom to know, know how much really to put our attention on those, those aspects. Particularly because when we're looking at um, what's happening internally, for ourselves is there there's kind of two parts to it right there's the part that's productive and the part that's unproductive because we want to be able to observe what's happening with the mind and we want to be able to guide the mind to reflecting upon and being present with the dhamma and, and how we relate to the Dhamma is different than this kind of self-blame. And that's one thing to, to understand, like, what is it that I'm doing? Um, if, if we can catch that distinction, I think we've come a long way to see that you know, the way we have behaved in situations is also really uh, so much a part of our conditioning that we're working with this pattern that we've uh, inherited, you might say, from previous lives. And we, in some way, have to find our ability to ground ourselves in the Dhamma and not blame ourselves for that conditioning. It makes it much easier for us to change, change the way we've approached things in the past, change the patterns. So yesterday I saw a documentary film that I wanna recommend. And some of you, I'll be interested to know if any of you've seen it. It's called The Biggest Little Farm. And it's, uh, it, it came out in 2018. Um, and it's a, a husband and wife who decide to leave their, well, they get evicted actually from their apartment in Santa Monica, California. And they decide to embark on this project of creating a farm that is, is managed and operated uh, in the old, old fashioned style without using chemicals, without, you know, trying to bring the whole of nature into it and have balance. It's a, it's a really interesting and beautiful um, 
beautiful cinematography and, and um, really interesting documentary. Because, when, because they are confronting problem after problem that I, I know well from growing up on a farm, you know, the, the, the ripe fruit on the trees is being eaten by the birds and the, um, you know, the gophers are, um, you know, and problems and, you know, nature, insects, you know, uh, eating crops and and in every case, instead of whipping out the the insecticides and the herbicides and the um, you know, uh, there is one point where the farmer actually does kill a coyote, but learns quickly that that's not the answer. And it's not a Dhamma movie, but you can see how they learn to reflect upon what's happening from a wider stance than just, we have to get rid of these pests. And if we bring the Dhamma to this kind of example, by the way, I think this thing is available on Netflix and Amazon and stuff. And, you know, so you can find it if you feel like it. But in the same way, when we're using the Dhamma to be present with what's happening in our life, then we turn our attention away from the, the minutia of the issue. And we look at the big picture. And something like, now I have to move, is really a management issue. Just think of it as management. If I manage this well, it's gonna go okay. And even if there are problems, I can manage my way through it. It lets go of the, letting go of the extra burden of the mental, um, agitation over it, or the feeling of it being unfair, or this is something I don't want. And of course, we know, you know, the story in the suttas about the second arrow, you know, letting go of the mental proliferation around something, letting go of the questioning and just, just walk through it, be present with changes we feel and keep going. Right. So, I, what, I, what I'm noticing is the many, many, many different ways that we divide our attention and put it on um, aspects that really aren't helpful. Whereas if we come back to the Dhamma, if we step back and reflect, how does the Dhamma fit here? And what is it that I can do to train my mind? I can use this situation there are ways in which I can, can learn about the bigger picture of how things work. And there's so much about what happens to us in human life that really in the end doesn't matter. What matters is our intention, the purity of our heart, 
you know, can I, um, you know, choose not to, not to shoot the coyote, <laughs> you know, not to say that, that hurtful thing to someone, um, to not wound myself by being overly critical and self-blaming. And so, of course, in the suttas we see over and over, you know, the noble disciple doesn't get upset about what's going on. They, they say, you know, I'm not the only one who experiences this. Other people experience this too. If something's happening to the body, this body is such that it's susceptible to this experience. If, if, it's, if it's something that's happening externally, you know, a natural disaster, for example, it's like this is part of living in the human world or in the world, part of living in samsara. It's not personal. And I think what, what's interesting, even in the film, was that you see this growing understanding of the way nature works. And, you know, the Buddha and his disciples, you know, always encouraging us to live in nature and to learn from nature. I think Ajahn Chah said you can learn everything from nature. And I think this is how we do it. It's by seeing that the parts of it that I want to push away, that I'm afraid of, that I detest, that I want to eliminate, those parts have a function too. And if I can use those and all of it for my development, for deepening my understanding, my ability to be content, can we be content in the midst of a big change in our life? And if we aren't, why not? And it's not to be, again, not, not be, be careful not to turn against yourself, but to love yourself and to open up to the, the ability to love the whole mess. You know, the Buddha was, was very clear that we should blame what is blameable and praise what is praiseworthy. And um, I don't mean the kind of praise and blame of other people, but, you know, just knowing what's wholesome and what's not wholesome and being clear about that. But we don't, we, um, if we can do that without an emotional charge, of liking and disliking, we've come a long way. There's a point where one of the farmer's dogs kills one of their chickens in the, in the film. And this is all stuff that's happening in their real life. They live on this farm, <laughs> or at least they did during those years. It was, it covers like seven or eight years. 
And, um, and he says to this dog, I don't know if I can forgive you for that. Um, but they, they keep the dog in a different, you know, the dog has a different job on the farm than being around the chickens <laughs> after that, <laughs> you know, and it's like, you know, can we really find a way to help ourselves and the living beings around us to be co cohabitate in a way that um, reduces the harm, if you will. I hope this is making a certain amount of sense. <laughs> and I think at this point, I'd like to hear what you think. Okay. And then you can tell Anyone can say if they don't want their part included, of course, but go ahead, Lynn, sorry. Yeah, I was just saying that I've seen the film. It's delightful. I would recommend it to everyone. And I hadn't thought about it in the Dhamma context. So I wanted to thank you for bringing that up. And I'll probably watch it again with those eyes. Yeah. So thank you, Lynn. I do get emails from them. I think they're Apricot Lane is it comes to mind. So yeah, I think they're still going. Farms, yeah. Yeah. I think they just lost a big pig. Oh um, it, it died. Uh-huh. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Lynn. I know they talk about, and I, I've seen, I checked it out a little on the web, on the web, and they have tours and people can visit. And of course, the idea of the whole project is to show that we can do something different with the earth, because the farmland they started with uh, north of Los Angeles was pretty, de extremely depleted when they got there. And uh, they're surrounded by monoculture farming. And they completely transformed this 200 acres or something into this amazing diversity of production. And, and, uh, and there is so much dumb in it. Yes, Paula? Um, thank you so much for your words of wisdom. They were deeply meaningful to me. Um, I'm, um, I mean, I'm just crying because I'm so destabilized right now. And um, uh, I mean, I can't even record properly today. I can't oh, it's okay. I'm having trouble. Look, I didn't set it up right. It's, it's kind of messed up, but we'll work through it. Um, my my problem has been that I, I, I haven't meditated for like two or three days. Mm -hmm. It's been like nonstop. It's like working more than eight hours a day trying to get this problem solved. And it's, um, I, I understand everything that you're saying. It makes complete sense, but it's like everything slipped away. Mm -hmm. All the Dhamma that I 
understood. I just was thrown back into samsara and I, I couldn't, I couldn't get up for fresh air. I couldn't, I couldn't. So I don't know um, how to manage that um, when you're under so much stress. And, and I, you know, just that I can't, you know, I'm, I'm spending all my time functioning, getting things right for the problem, but yet like, it's not right. <laughs> but you're here now. Because I had to record. You come up for air. <laughs> <laughs> and I was given the permission to come and yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm here. And, and I was really looking forward to being here. And I, I do appreciate uh, listening to your talk again. Um, yeah, and there are a couple of things. I mean, what you're experiencing, what you're describing is important for all of us because it happens to us where we get overwhelmed. You know, the wave comes and we're underwater. And how do you come up for air? Well, you call your nuns <laughs> and you talk. <laughs> and if you have to do that every day, that's okay. <laughs> and you, you, um, you know, you come to this session and, and, you, and you, you don't worry about not meditating for three days. You just, you know, it's like, okay, my practice right in this moment is to be kind and to do the next thing in front of me. And, you know, we're, I'm happy to talk with you or either of us would be, I'm sure, about, you know, how can you apply the Dhamma to this in this moment as you're making your way through this? This is, this is a, a big change, yes. It's a lot of work, oh yes. <laughs> and it's going to be fine. And, you know, um, there are ways to make it easier. And I, I know you already know that the, easy, the easier part is the, um, the actual physical doing of the stuff. The harder part is all of the mental attitudinal stuff around it. And how do we manage that? It's like, okay, there is that wise part of the mind that I'm going to step back to and be in while I watch the rest of it go crazy, if that's what it's doing. And to know that that's okay. Watching it is enough. And not reacting in ways that create bad karma. That's a huge gain. <laughs> yeah, I already caught myself on that <clears throat> because you, you know, I have to work this out with my husband and it's a stressful time and it's easy to snap at each other mm -hmm. and or be snapped at and and to control the harsh speech. It's like, oh God, you know, I did that. Oh, that feels awful. And I don't want to do that again, you know, and I, and I, I, you know, I, the Dhamma came crashing in and I, I, so some of it's working, but I want it to work a little better. So I'll <laughs> let the next person talk. <laughs> Thank well, you. Thank you, Paula. And, but I love what you're sharing because this is 
what happens to all of us, right? And, and then noticing that it feels awful, being sensitive enough to feel that it feels awful, and then decide to not do it again. This is exactly what people do all the time in practice. This is exactly what the monastic code is written for. <laughs> this is exactly what the Buddha said. Yeah, if you see what you're doing wrong and you admit it, then you can go forward and you can make progress. And this is exactly how it works and it's okay. And, um, and that is the practice right now. That's very well said. I, I'm gonna hold on to that. Thank you. You're welcome. Cynthia? Um, yeah, a couple things. One somewhat connected to what uh, jo Joyce was just saying, when uh, especially Paula. the first, uh, I'm sorry, Paula. Oh, yeah. The first few days, like right before my surgery, when I was in all this turmoil about what's going to happen, you know, I'm going to wake up and have no language and da da da. And, and after, and I was having a lot of insomnia, medically induced insomnia, and I couldn't do my regular practice. I mean, I usually do sort of a non-directed, you know, open aware that, that just was not happening. But what, what I spent a lot of time doing was a lot of metta and karuna practice because it really helped me ground and it, and also helped me connect. It helped me, it reminded me this is not just me, you know, other people are suffering, other people are struggling and it. And there was something about that, that kind of opened it up a little bit and made it easier, easier to hold. Um, and, and the other thing about, you know, where we put our attention is over the last some years, I've, so, some years ago, I started like regularly doing five reflection chanting and uh, a chant that I do every day that's that's about death and it helped it helps it still helps it's not like over um, just having that kind of focus and, and I thought a lot you often say it's nothing to be unhappy about you know and just that reminder it's like this is samsara it's like this is happening it's happening to me it's happening to other people and that's just how it is here and and to add the piece on about this is terrible and why is it happening and you know where's it going to go and what's going what's going to be next month and da, 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 it's it's just not useful and and just to to have that reminder in my mind of you know this is the nature of being human this is the nature of this realm and and uh, and I just have to meet it the best I can so that was all helpful stuff to be. Come rolling back. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Cynthia. The reason there's nothing to be unhappy about is because we wake up. And when we see the true nature of this existence and the nature of that that everything really is impermanent. It is all falling apart. And there's nothing to be unhappy about because it, that's its nature. And it's, it's more than, it's not logical. You can't make yourself um, 
not be unhappy in that way, you know, like that reaction to it. But you can step back and go, wait a minute, there's there's nothing to be unhappy about here. It's it's the realization though, that deep realization that brings a kind of happiness that doesn't go away at some level. It's real, um, it's so counterintuitive, but that's the fruit of the practice. That's what it means to wake up, you know, to be happy and at peace no matter what, because you know that all of this other stuff just continues and continues and continues. It's endless. Encapsulated beautifully in that movie, you just one thing after another. This thing, this animal dies. Now they just, you know, like this, this um, effort that we put in is, is destroyed by this storm that happens or whatever it is. It's like, this is just, it's endless and normal. And it's, you know, there's nothing there to be unhappy about because there is awakening. There is freedom from suffering. There is nibbana. And nibbana is not someplace you go after you die. Nibbana is here now. It's a realization, not a destination. It's Patty. It's good to see you. Welcome. Thank you. I know it's just been forever, but I'm back in the country and I'm happy to be here. Um, since I've come back, actually just in the last few days, um, <clears throat> I want to just give a, you know, rousing bit of applause for Kalyanamita because they are the ones who can be with us in whatever there is and listen and just reflect back um, the truth. And um, this is a very long story, which is I'm not going to tell it, but it began two years ago when I left my home in Portland. And that began a series of events, of transitions, of moves, of changes that I um, that I just kept saying, oh yeah, this is okay. Well, this is kind of hard. Mm-hmm, yeah, that's okay. Mm-hmm. But what I did not come in contact with was the impact that it was really having on my heart. And, um, and, and it was, what do they call it? A spiritual bypass. It just went, whoop, I just, never mind. And this came up a few couple of days ago and so the result of that was not just getting immersed in, oh, how terrible and awful. It, what, what, but what I recognized was the clinging. I just tight-fisted clinging to, oh, and as you say, that was the way it was and it's different and then, 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 but it's all based on conditions. It's just the conditions that arise. And so fortunately, what I came to see what I understand from this friend was that, you know, rather than hold on to the, oh, I'll never have this again. It'll never be this way again. Even with, even with being on the West coast and having access to you and the monks and all the other monastics and the retreats and so forth, which I still feel is a great loss, but 
the recollection, as Ajahn Pasano used to say, brighten the mind. And I thought, well, how do you do that? I remember when he said that, I said, how do you do that? And, and it's the recollection. It's the recollections of those times when you and Ajahn um, Ananda were with me in my home. We went to the gorge, we went on hikes to recall those occasions that absolutely brighten my mind. And, and I don't have to, it's, a, it's allowed me to begin to let go of the grip I had on what I had and it's gone. And so there's just a, a softening and a gentling and um, such appreciation. And I, I come back to all those experiences now with joy. And I never would have thought that a week ago, not ever. It was like loss, 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 terrible, awful. I don't have this anymore, blah, blah, blah. And that's Dhamma. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. And, and we still want to, as we, we looked at, I don't know, did we look at it in, on Saturday morning or was it another, was it a Wednesday night? I don't remember, but looking at this, this idea of, oh, I think it was a Saturday morning. When is the right time to move? When is the right time to stay? When is the right time to reorganize our life and change the conditions? Because conditions do matter. Yeah. And it's true that I mean, I keep hoping you're going to decide to come back to the West Coast because <laughs> I think it's better here <laughs> for you anyway. And, and you can't go back to what you had before. None of us can. It's not going back. It's going forward. What do you want going forward? You know, I mean, um, making the choices but they have to be made from the place you're standing at now, you know, where, where you're like able to really accept the way it is, right? So that spiritual bypassing, none of that, you know, like negativity, but just like, okay, this is how this is now. What do I want to do? What can I do now? not wasting our time and our energy. I mean, this life energy is really pretty magical and important stuff. And we have a limited supply. Right. And it's the stuff that helps us awaken because without it, we can't. So, you know, not wasting it on things that don't matter, like being anxious or regretful, right? Or blaming or hateful, angry, any of that stuff going over and over the event that happened that we feel humiliated by or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Not waste our time, not waste our life force on any of that. But how can I come to this moment and do something useful? One of the things I liked about the movie is it starts out with this couple getting married and the promise was to live a purposeful life. 
together. Nice. Yeah. So well, I'm looking forward to the next chapter, Patty. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Thank you. Neil. Um, so now I almost hesitate to want to ask my question because there's so I'm getting so much brightness from your responses to the previous questions or comments. And, um, but I had a question that came up during your reflection. You said something that intrigued me. Um, you said, the Buddha left home to solve the problem of um, sickness, aging, and death. And then you said, especially death. And for some reason that made me wonder, is there, is there something in the suttas where the Buddha specifically talks about, and that this is me, um, projecting into it the fear of death. Yes, I think there is a sutta that we went over at some point uh, somewhere. <laughs> um, I think I think it's in like the Sutta Nipata or someplace. I think but he 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 does talk about picking up the search because of death. So there is a, there is an emphasis on death. And can you say a little about what he says there? I want to go back and look for it. Uh, <laughs> but, okay. But I, well, I don't know if anyone else in the room here remembers exactly what happened there, but you know, the, the whole idea of, you know, like, how do you, how do you find the deathless? And, you know, there's, there's a pretty um, commonly looked at sutta where he talks, when, when he talks about the noble search, that's in Majjhima 26. And he says, you know, why, why do I want to accumulate all of these things that are dying, that are going to die. When I'm myself, I'm going to die. I'm subject to death. Why do I want to get wife and children and, and gold and silver and, you know, animals and why do I want to have a farm? <laughs> you know, that's going to have all these things are going to, pass away and die and you know like why do i want to collect all that no i want to find the deathless but i don't you know maybe this might be something for a, a private conversation someday so i don't think i'll pursue it any further at the moment but 
Um, I will look at Majjhima Nikaya 26 and I'll search through the Supernipata for something. So th thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, I'm happy to keep grappling. Um, and knowing that there is complete peace. That's what he found. And happiness, the highest happiness. And that is not something we can bring into existence through imagining or uh, intellectual um, figuring it out. It's something that comes through through direct experience, direct knowledge, immediate, immediate knowledge. And for that, we need to meditate. So <laughs> let's do some. <laughs> so make yourselves comfortable. So when you start to meditate, give yourself enough time in the beginning to really settle your body. You can check on the different parts of the body and see how they're doing. Sometimes we're holding tightness in our muscles. And we can invite those muscles to relax. Sometimes we have tightness in our shoulders, our neck, our arms, our hands, our legs, our belly, wherever. And sometimes we can't really relax even by inviting that, that area of the body to become calm. So then it's useful to tighten those muscles really strong and then let go. And if you're holding tightness, say, in your arms and hands, if you tighten one side first really strong and then let go, you can feel the difference between that side and the other side. And when we pay attention to our body in this way, we can also have some kindness and, and really really being kind and compassionate to the body. 
after we've had some time to help the body relax, when we tune into our breathing and establish mindfulness, Breathing in with mindfulness and breathing out with mindfulness. And then again, bringing an attitude of kindness. Appreciation for what's working, the body can sit here, how wonderful, the mind is able to put attention on our breath, how wonderful. can feel sensations in the body. And breathe in and breathe out and expand our awareness to take in the whole body and feel it. Feel the experience of breathing in. Feel what it feels like to breathe out. Maybe take a few extra deep breaths to give ourselves some extra relaxation. And we notice the mind. We breathe in and breathe out. Aware of the activity in the mind and invite it to calm down. And whether the mind becomes calm right away or it takes some time, we're resting in awareness and the mindfulness, observing, detached.
not judging it, not worrying about it. The Buddha said we can feel feelings detached. The mind can have thoughts and we can be detached about it, observing, kind, but not involved. Caring, but not involved. Wise and aware, knowing, but not involved. This is how we rest. This is how we become happy and at ease. Grounded in awareness, grounded in mindfulness, grounded in wisdom. Everything else begins to fade into the background. Using the breath as an anchor. Holding us steady, calm, peaceful, and happy.
when you notice the mind getting caught up in the minutiae, just bring it back to that basis of awareness, mindfulness, wisdom, and happiness. Kindness. You can manage the minutiae later if necessary. But for now, just observing and letting go.
I should say, Neil, that I think in the Noble Search in Majjhima Nikaya 26, the Buddha probably talks about old age, sickness, and death, all three. <coughs> so that's not the spot, probably, um, that he calls out death particularly, but I'll take a look and try to send you a, a reference. Is there anyone who would like what they've shared extracted from the recording? Or are you good? Cynthia's left, but I think she's going to be fine with it. Everybody okay? All right. I, I hear people really appreciate the recordings and um, you know, everybody's working with the same material, so <laughs> it's helpful to hear how people approach it. Any last comments, questions? Yes, Linda? I just wanted to say that although I'm personally not going through any major changes right now, I just found the the all the comments and, and your reflections I, uh, so helpful today and such a good reminder. Thank everyone. Thank you, Linda. Neil? Yeah, um, I just wanted to say that um, during the, the guided meditation, um, I really appreciated, I had to get up and write it down, um, that he used the phrase detached, wise and caring, but not involved. And, I, and to me, I mean, for me, uh, equanimity is the most important of the Brahmataharas because from, from living in equanimity, I think, the other three just come automatically. That's just my opinion. And I thought this, it seemed like a perfect definition for me of equanimity. Detached, wise and caring, but not involved. And I just wanted to share that. Thank you. Thank you, Neil. Okay, friends. Uh, know that it's possible to call your nuns even from around the world. There's WhatsApp, there's what messenger, there's uh, like 80 ways probably to do that <laughs> without any real big expense. And, um, and we really uh, appreciate the depth and sincerity of your practice. Isn't that a Paul Simon song, 80 ways to call your eyes? <laughs> <laughs> if it isn't, it should be. <laughs> okay, take care, everyone. Onward. Thank you, Aya. Yes, you're welcome, Sumida. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.